I got big dreams, so my watch got a big face. Girls getting missing like a motherfucking mixtape. Smelling like money and I'm looking like sex. I'm outside for real with the slimes and the slats. Nigga ride away, then the nigga get taxed. Venus no pants and I fill them up with racks. They all ball cap and this all facts. No, I don't relax and I don't lack. Demons, they follow me deep in the dark. Niggas got problems with being a boy. All right. Uh, we are back once again, folks, live in Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, and what's up? And welcome back to episode 76 of uh, the How You Living podcast. The only show recorded live from the Chaz Tower in the official Million Dollar Studios. We have returned. Indeed, indeed. And it is still valued over $999,000. Chaz, <laughs> we always start this show by just kind of a simple question to you. And that question, my friend, is, how you living? Uh, you know, I'm doing all right. I can't complain. I started a new job, but that's been going well. Other than that, just chilling, trying to figure out more leftist content. Probably, like, on this podcast, I'm going to definitely be bringing more of the leftist side of things. So if you're into that sort of thing, your your recovering capitalist Chaz is here for you. Yeah, and uh, I, I've been paying attention a little bit, checking out how uh, this campaign is unfolding on the left side. Uh, seeing what the Dems are going to put together for their final push for the... Uh, versus Trump election of 2020. Uh, and, you know, it's it's been interesting. I've also been enjoying our uh, warm weather here in the Seattle region. Yeah, it's been seasonably warm, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. We haven't had, usually the Seattle area gets a heat wave of some sort. And we really haven't had that yet, at least, like... It's yep. been in the 90s. It's been like in 75 to 80, which is what you expect. And it was, I mean, it was like 90 yesterday. It got up to 90, but it was just at the edge. It was the late 80s, early 90s, uh, which was a fun time. I remember well, uh, you know, Nirvana was still alive. Huh. Uh, but we're here, folks, to uh, also do our normal How You Live In schedule of segments. Which, you know, as, as we are the type of podcast that sticks directly to a schedule, we start this, as all episodes, with a look back on the things that we've done in previous shows in a segment we call Callbacks. And that's where we play this. Cuckoo Callbacks. Yeah, or just for the fun of it. Cuckoo Callbacks. Yeah. On the Callbacks. Yeah. Callbacks. Yeah, the original theme song that we had for the callback segment back for you once again. Uh, how are you doing, Chaz? Any callbacks on the mind? Um, I do want to focus on one of the other political candidates that we talked about, uh, Pete Buttigieg, and he has a Douglas plan, and I haven't really heard a lot about it, uh, so I kind of want to play this uh, video clip here. That he has, uh, um, so let me see, because he has uh, some policy advisors. If you want to look at it, you can go to uh, PeteForAmerica.com slash Douglas Plan, and kind of, uh, it's kind of his push uh, for, you know, African Americans getting the justice they need from years and years of historic marginalization. Um, as some people might think it's coming a little too late, but, you know, at least... 
I guess he's listening to critiques of his platform and saying something about it. So since I don't, uh, let me read what his first blurb is and play this video and then we can kind of discuss what it's all about. Uh, so this thing says here, the decisions that we make in the next four years will determine America's path for the next 40. He says that a lot. Uh, and a great deal... And a great deal of the progress we make on everything from increasing economic freedom to confronting climate disruption will depend on whether we tackle racial, racial inequality in our lifetime. For all of our country's forward movement, black people in America are still disproportionately excluded from systems of social protection, economic economic uplift and a representative democracy while facing shorter lifespans, lower educational attainment, and a dramatic overcriminalization and incarceration compared to their white counterparts. All right, so let's see what our boy has to say. A big part of what motivates me to be in public service, knowing that uh, the choices we make in government really decide how equal or unequal our society is going to be. I'm Pete Buttigieg. I'm the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. So it's very clear that as a consequence of systemic racism, black Americans have been excluded from the growth and the opportunity that our nation has provided. Some of this goes back centuries, but a lot of it is a consequence of policies that took place within living memory. And they're not going to go away on their own. We are not an equal society in health. If black women are dying at three times the rate of white women from maternal complications. We do not have equality in our criminal justice system. Uh, if uh, a black person is four times as likely to be arrested for marijuana possession as a white person. We're certainly not equal in our economy. If household wealth for black families is one-seventh of what it is for white families, we see this across every facet of American life. These inequalities were created intentionally by racist policies. Reversing them will also require us to act with intention. That's why I've put together the Douglas Plan. The Douglas Plan aims to provide the scale and scope that is necessary for true nationwide restorative justice. It means that a black entrepreneur can actually get access to the capital she needs to create not only prosperity for herself, but jobs for more people who've been excluded in the past. It's part of what it's going to take in order to make sure that black voters in black neighborhoods have the exact same access to the vote and to democratic power as people living in any other neighborhood. It's what we need in order to advance toward a world where a black driver and a white driver feel the exact same when they encounter a police car and that their feeling is one of safety, not one of fear. James Baldwin said in 1963 that America was celebrating 100 years of emancipation a hundred years too soon. Our generation can and must be the one to finally right the wrongs created by centuries of dehumanization and discrimination in this country. This is the time for all Americans to recognize that when black Americans experience true freedom and justice, every American is better off. We have developed a specific, concrete, ambitious plan that can make a tremendous difference. We've done it with huge amounts of participation and inclusion. We're always polishing it as we go, but as it stands right now, I'm proud of what we've built. And I want Americans to understand uh, that this is not something that we can just uh, wave our hands and say it's too hard or it's too big. We can do things right now to make a tremendous difference. The Douglas Plan shows the way toward what we could actually make happen in our time. This is just the beginning. 
Brought to you by 2020 Pete. Uh, the music was almost too much, but oh, it, and that music was oh, that was some propagandic ass music right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, a good, a good statement, a good message. Um, you know, a lot of it is just truth statements that he's making, and then there's the pledge to work for it. That's the piece of the campaign. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all stuff we've talked about on here, of course. Um, I hope that to some degree is the nature of all of the candidates running on the left, you know, I hope, yeah. I hope that, that, that they have a piece to that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously on the campaign, I mean, we don't know what they're going to do when they get elected, but their, uh, the foundation of their platform is kind of the best we have to go on. So oh, of course that's cool that he's um, putting resources and time, uh, into articulating that and making that video series. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, what does I mean, what does Trump, you know, have to say to that? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. he he gets, you know, he'd be like, oh, because he's always saying that black employment is up. Yeah, I mean, him. that's a conservative. Like, and I've been watching a video series on the Great Courses Plus about capitalism versus socialism, and a lot of people have different ways they like to measure the economy in a way, and people look at employment rates. And a lot of people who defend Trump for the good he's done have say that, you know, we have the lowest employment rates uh, for blacks and Latinos and other groups that we've had for like the past 20 years or whatever. Unemployment rates. Yeah, yeah unemployment rates. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it doesn't look at, you know, if those people are underemployed, which a lot of people are. If you look at like our GDP per capita is approximately like $50,000 per person. But we know that some people in our society are poor and they don't have access to that much wealth and other people are hugely wealthy and they have to maybe some might argue too much access to that wealth. So I think uh, when he talks about those things, I understand the framing he's using and I understand what people value that framing, but I don't think it gives us a clear view of what's actually happening economically right. to everybody who's in our society. And I do feel like someone like Pete Buttigieg, who's coming out here with like a deliberate detailed plan to saying like, these are the holes in our current systems, both like the judicial system, the economic system, and the social system, and these are the changes we need to make yeah. if we're going to make American society better for everyone who lives here, and not just a select few. And I mean, with my short amount of time down in the South, when I was kind of talking with some folks that were working in the corrections facilities down there, obviously working on federal laws to limit the the power and hopefully make it uh, no longer a, a, a thing to do, but have the private prison system be reformed because that's been a real problem down there. And then the employment gaps they have where they just end up using uh, slave labor essentially in the form of their, um, their prisoners. Um, I want to see some more Democrats talking about that as well. Indeed. Because, yeah, like you said, when you touched on it, I mean, the justice system is just as flawed as the economic inequalities. But instead of just having to work a different job and live with, like, multiple generations of family to afford, you know, property, uh, you end up in jail. Yeah. You know, and your whole life and property and everything is essentially taken from you. And so that system really needs to start being looked at as the epicenter of issue for the marginalized communities in our in our country. Um, we got to stop putting people in cages, uh, obviously, with the marijuana prohibition being on the table for this new Congress. Did you hear that recently? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, hopefully that will take uh, a lot of these cases out of uh, the federal courts and maybe even some of the higher state courts 
and get those people um, out of jail for for basically a plant that half the country is saying is pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. I mean, as far as callbacks, I guess, that's interesting since we did take a look at uh, Budiich's campaign. And, uh, and, you know, he continues to say different things. Obviously, his track record in South Bend has some blemishes in the same kind of area. So one wonders if this is, you know trying to swing the pendulum in the other direction. I mean, it's straight up political pandering. We know this. Yeah. But, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> I'm looking more at, like, what kind of impact it's going to have. I'm just not going to say, oh, it's political pandering. Get the fuck out of here with that white boy. Like, right. no, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm basically going to just be like, okay, yeah, let's actually look at what it's going to do. I need to, like, take a deep dive into the specifics of it. Because he has a bunch of other videos where he's talking about the people who have helped make the policies. And hopefully he is actually using the right people to come up with the right things and doing the right things. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, moving forward, this is, of course, uh, the 76th episode of How You Live In live in effect. We have arrived outside of the callback segment into the main show. Uh, Spirit of 76 live with us late July, Seattle, Washington. Um what in your mind, Chaz, is uh, a pressing topic you want to share with the people this week? Uh, well, I guess I did a little bit of a deep dive on Andrew Yang. And the other thing that I want to talk about, just to look into it and explore it too, is uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, let me see, challenger, uh, Miss McGrath. So, Okay. Mitch McConnell getting uh, a hair bit of, of positive press when he allowed the uh, 9-11, not victims of 9-11, but the um, responders, first responders bill to get funded essentially um, permanently. Um, And uh, and, and he obviously was also the one that had been holding the bill back. So he doesn't really get a huge pat on the back, but he did finally uh, let the bill go through. It passed the Senate. I think it was 98 to 2 with Paul Rand and... uh, Another guy holding out for economic reasons. Oh, yeah. Rand Paul, he's definitely, like, the libertarian in that group. And definitely, even if it comes to, like, economics or fiscal responsibility, that's definitely a core of his uh, political platform. So that's no surprise that he did that. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, what's going on with the McConnell Challenger? Um, so she is a, a veteran uh, from the Army. Let me see if I can look her up real quick. So McConnell has been uh, basically the the minor the he's the leader of the Senate, right? Is is that or is he in the House? No, he's the Senate. He is the Senate Majority Maj- Leader. Senate Majority Leader. Yeah, yeah, and he is basically like you could argue very strongly that he is more dangerous than Donald Trump right now because it was him who basically did the obstruction campaign against uh, Obama. Uh, once they had the power to, that basically allowed it so that Obama couldn't push through any legislation he wanted because he was the stopgap. Like, he's the stopgap to even putting it on the floor to get a vote. Right. So definitely it's very important that, you know, those um, on the Democrat side and those who maybe want leftist or center-left policies to be brought through, that I think getting rid of... um, McConnell and Trump are like the two pronged strategies that we need to go over. Um, so, so McGrath coming out of Kentucky, 
Indeed. Battling for a, a state level at the, well, you know, uh, Supreme or uh, federal level, but mm-hmm. a state senator of uh, Kentucky. One of two, as every state gets that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so she's probably trying to run on a, is she a, an actual Democrat? She is an actual Democrat. Um, the interesting thing is uh, she says she's a center-left Democrat or a moderate Democrat. Right. Um, and she definitely did say something about the Democrats don't go too far to the left, you know, and all the, you know, how people are disliking about socialism. So as a leftist, I was kind of like, <laughs> but, you know, given the foe that we're up against, my haranguing isn't going to do anything. So I I am for her making this challenge. I'm happy she's making this challenge. Uh, so let's get a little bit um, of a background on her. Uh, she is a retired U.S. Military Corps Lieutenant Colonel, raised in Kentucky, running for U.S. Senate to fix America to fix Washington and give Kentuckians back their voice. Uh, she was born the youngest of three children. Uh, oh, the interesting thing is says she, that I think might resonate with a lot of people is that she was 13 years old and she dreamed of becoming a fighter pilot. Uh, but women were not yet allowed to serve in combat roles in the military. So she wrote her elected officials to ask them to change the law and never heard back from her senator. Mitch McConnell. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's got an actual bone to pick with him. Yeah, this is that's big. She, they can call it out like a uh, like a wrestling tournament now, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, get Ric Flair up in there. Uh, yeah, no, well, okay. So coming out of Kentucky, obviously, it's, uh, typically a conservative state mm-hmm. uh, in the South. So um, she's, you know, it, it's kind of known in the political spectrum that she would have to be kind of center leaning in order to to pick up a a dim seat in a state like that. But, you know, it worked in Alabama uh, for, was it Doug Jones? Is that who? Uh, that was Alabama. Yeah, and he won against in a Republican district as a Democrat uh, against Roy Moore. Uh, so kind of a similar, you know, different type of candidate, though, with uh, Wagner. It looks like she, uh, you know, she has the, the military history. Mm-hmm. And then if she's familiar with Kentucky politics, she probably knows kind of how to to speak in their terms in a way that won't like turn them off just because of the D next to her name. That's true. So uh, that'll be an interesting campaign to keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, leadership in the Senate and the House is targeted positions at this mm-hmm. point um, in order to uh, to continue to, to, to push through Democratic legislation. Obviously, they are the leadership currently in the House. Uh, but, you know, everything, we gotta, we got to fight on all... Exactly. Platforms. It would be interesting to see. I don't know if Nancy Pelosi is up for re-election in this next upcoming cycle. Right. But there's definitely uh, people who see Nancy Pelosi as more of a stopgap to more, you know, as the Overton window is now in current American politics, far left positions. Uh, So and there's some people who may think that she should stay in those positions or stay in that position because they don't want to see those things. Right. And there's other people who might want to see her out of that position to allow for the squad with like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others who want to bring more, you know, social democratic views and policies to the Democratic Party to take that role and step up to that. Yeah. I mean, as as somebody who's been a fan of uh, the California House representative, uh, I do think it's time to move on from Nancy Pelosi. Um, I think I think as the leadership role, we need somebody with a, 
a voice that's connected to what's going on. The, the House is typically the younger of the two um, uh, legislative branches there. They, uh, you know, they allow people just over the age of 30 to run. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it no it's 20 it's 27 for the house 30 tw- for the senate yeah 27 so you know uh it 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 should have a connection to a younger voice to a younger demographic of people uh being that's what is supposed to kind of make up that that building and you know pelosi is at this point now a previous generation and uh i think some of those views coming out of the left i think i think bringing those forward and having people actually live in that that situation with those type of policies actually being enacted will bring more people over to the Democratic Party. For sure. You know, once they, they see the benefit of of reigning in ha- housing costs and allowing people to, to go to school and, and have their loans be, you know, a smaller percentage than what they are today, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it'll make a difference in the spending and the habits of those people, which then birth the economy and all, all right. those things conservative voters love, you know. Yeah. I mean, you put more money into people's pockets, and conservatives will always argue this by saying we should have people pay less taxes, which is an understandable reason, but I guess you have to always look at the how it interfaces with each other and how, like, you know, the balance sheet, like, if you have less things going into um, the, whatchamacallit, um, in... Less money going into taxes, like what are you able to pay for, you know, what services get lowered. And, of course, Republicans are just like, we want to keep the military because that's how we do a lot of things. But all the entitlements, oh, fuck that. Um, So here we go. Uh, Hey, hey, what's up? Somebody just joined our Discord. Uh, If you want to join in on the chat, you can. If you just want to listen, you can mute your microphone. It's up to you. How you doing? He he muted his (laughs) microphone. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, I'm, I have to do some chores really fast, but I can hear everything, and I'll chime in whenever. Okay, cool. Nice. Well, there you go. Look, uh, look at Chaz playing with the form, uh, bringing a live Discord community to the podcast. Yeah, uh, we created a server, because um, I find that I guess a lot of political spaces have Discord servers now where people can talk about things. And I've been on a few of them, so... I thought when we record, we can record it live on there. People can listen in. They can hop in maybe. You know, we'll see where it goes. Experiment with it a little bit. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> uh, as as I have done live call-in shows and live podcasts, I will say I'm wary to the, <laughs> the reaction you may or may not get from an unsolicited public. But uh, uh, I'm cool, man. I, you know, I got a life vest on. I can handle these rough waters. <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean, so Pete Buttigieg, I guess, in your mind, if he can actually angle that conversation, is he back in your favor in a way that he could accept a vote from Chaz? Um, or does he have a way to Not right now. Yeah. Like, not with other challengers that are out there. Like, still like Bernie for a lot of like the super progressive things that he wants to do. And definitely he's the one that wants to change the system. Like, or not change the system. He wants to break the system and rebuild it. Where, like, uh, at least Elizabeth Warren wants to fix the system in the ways that she thinks she can. Um, I mean, I guess I'm still, I guess I'm a little bit more on the left, so I, I will gravitate towards more people who have the bigger, bold ideas and aren't afraid of pissing off the right people in order to make the world better. Um, and I think Pete Buttigieg isn't there yet. 
Okay. So I'm from the X Games generation, so I want to see Bernie Sanders do like a 360 on a snowboard since he's from Vermont, you know, and they got Burlington up there. Oh yeah. I uh yeah, that 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 he would get my vote with that 360 spin. And especially if he was talking about uh, you know, forgiving student loans while he did this trick. Oh yeah. I get him extra points for style for that. I know he's all about re- forgiving those student loans. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I know AOC has another challenge or has a challenger because she's one of those junior senators in the Congress that has to get reelected in two years. So her seat is actually up in its next election cycle, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so there is an individual um, by the name of uh, Cherie Williams, and she is an immigrant. Let me see. She is uh, she immigrated from Jamaica as a child and is active in the state and state Republican politics. And she is launching a can- campaign against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Wow. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be an interesting race uh, since they basically, you know, got someone of a minority status who's in their fold in that district, It's that's going to, you know, break some of that conversation up that AOC had against the uh, the Republican incumbent last time. You know what I mean? Like Indeed. And it'll be a policy debate. For sure. And there's also the possibility that the Democrats could do a, a primary challenge against AOC as well, too. If, you know... Uh, just hearkening back to what McGrath was saying, that sometimes they feel like the left is going a little too left, or maybe the Democrats are going a little too left. So people are like, eh, let's do some more center-left politics, which I think, in a nutshell, boils down to how much capitalism is too much capitalism. Uh, we'll we'll see what will happen in those spaces. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. I actually hope she retains the seat. I want to see her oh, me too. gain some foothold. In the House, I don't really think you can even be like given a shot in two years. And the fact that she's been kind of making as much headway as she has is really mm-hmm. impressive. And now that she does have to then focus on her first re-election campaign, turn around and get a team together and do that yeah. in such short order, um, you know, that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic. And I do think that she still speaks for that neighborhood so much that she has the, the upper hand in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, if she can continue to... Uh, represent you know her district and her constituents well um do we have anybody running in the local area in that for for representatives that we should uh not that i know of but that's something i will mark down to make sure i look at for the next episode yeah because i don't know if uh jamila jayapal is up for re-election this cycle or if uh cantwell and our other senators are up as well or our how our representatives any of our reps um, we probably have so yeah reps every time so oh well our our particular rep is uh jamila jayapal but oh, she's in it yeah right but i don't know about the rest of um the state of washington's uh reps so so yeah i think probably our next episode maybe should be on a little bit of uh, washington politics to see where they're going because the city of seattle Right now, we have people who are running for city council. Yeah, we got those ballots. Yeah, yeah. and that's been that's been an interesting thing. Like city politics, I have been caring about a little bit more these days. And <clears throat> like I'm looking at all the individuals going through, and it seems like the biggest complaint is like Deborah Juarez has been doing the best thing she can given the system, and I'm leaning towards voting for her as the incumbent. 
Uh, but the other people did seem to just be like, uh, I remember you showed me that one video of that one guy that was trying to have his voice heard. Uh-huh. Um, and they weren't paying attention to them. Right. And basically, Seattle Lights overall, I think, are saying that our city council is ineffective because they aren't listening to people. Right. Uh, and I do like, but at, at the same time, it's it's a complex issue because I do feel like they're kind of like, well, we want you to put more police in the streets so you can stop these homeless people from doing homeless things. Right. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, that hurts. Right. Like, I mean, uh why not change the systemic issues? Like, and I feel like no one's talking about that. But I also haven't done a, a deep enough dive to fully get the gist of everything people are saying. And we have about, like, uh, it's about two weeks before our ballots need to be in. Like, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. Uh, so I definitely was watching uh, the candidate forum for District 5, the one that we're in. Um, and... And yeah, it'll be interesting to see because me personally, right now, I know that Seattle, when it comes to gaining funds in order to pay for public housing, in order to deal with, uh, you know, just the inflation of rent prices and the inflation of mortgage prices in our city. They're having trouble finding that money. Yeah. And and they're having trouble finding that money is because the state of Washington limits what types of uh, taxation sort of engines or avenues they have to be able to get that. Yeah, And right now, and a lot of the times, it's sad to say that, and one of the reasons why I was against Jenny Durkin is that I know that our politics caters more to the rich or well-off individuals who have been here and do their best to try to maintain that status quo right. instead of doing something big and bold that is going to tacitly piss people off, right. but it would be better off for the individuals who live here. Yeah, they can, I mean... They could create a city subsidized kind of we work situation mm-hmm. where like the time was already paid for and people could utilize those spaces to grow small businesses, mm-hmm. answer emails and stuff. They could run, you know, local landscaping operations, cleaning projects. You could do construction. You know, there's so many things that really just having an address and a, and a mailbox yeah. can, can, can help provide, especially with the skill sets. A lot of people who are finding themselves homeless uh, still retain. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them are tradesmen and, and, and have experience in different industry. Um, so it's not like a cataloging thing, but eventually we do need to kind of find out what the population is and where we can aid them the quickest. Like, how can we get somebody working and in a home? Mm-hmm. Um, or if somebody needs training or job skill training, then you kind of put them on a different track of, let's get you in a home and then get you this training and then get you a job, you know? Um and and I think situations like that could be funded, and I think the creative ways Seattle has always tried that economic higher end class that you talked about mm-hmm. ha- has done their political clout to to stop it all the way up till the last thing with Amazon. Oh yeah, and the the what was it <laughs> head tax? I forget. What oh that. yeah, no, no, the head tax, and the head tax was definitely fought against by a lot of uh, bigger local businesses and too short. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think like the CEO of Uwajimaya and the CEO of Dick's Burgers were two big local celebrity proponents against it. And there were definitely like back then, I think we did talk about this uh, last year when it was happening. And definitely even in my own spaces, I saw individuals who definitely think that if you're going to be an owner of a big business and you know, provide a certain level of jobs to the area that I guess you should be able to profit a certain degree off of that. 
And they were saying that the head tax on places like grocery stores and such that have such low margins to begin with, right. that it was just going to basically take away their ability to profit. Yeah. And, you know, as a capitalist, I get it, right? As a leftist, I want to say fuck that shit, but I need to have a more cogent uh, sort of argument of like why of that. Because, and now I get more so why people say, um, <clears throat> you shouldn't be profiting off of people if you're giving them subsistence wages. Right. And that's what a lot of things that are happening there. So, But then places like Fred Meyer or Iwajimaya, uh, I think... Lower they, end. Uh, I think... Well, actually, Fred Meyer, I think they start out most of their people at like 20 bucks an hour or something or something along those lines. So, hmm. right? Like, that feels a little anecdotal, but, it, uh, you know, okay. I mean... It's a Kroger organization. They're not exactly known for being like the best i mean and it's union waged so i'm sure the ufcw has uh you know kind of given them a, a good a good benefits package and that type of thing Any, that's true any, i'm either right or wrong so anything well I, I i mean i've been in ufcw's before uh so you do get it's but it is as far as negotiating it's one of the lower end on the union so i 20 sounds a little high i'm sure they're above the 15 mm-hmm. that's the kind of like standard minimum wage now uh 20 sounds a little high but i'm sure we're creeping up towards it so we're probably you know, talking pennies, but uh, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, the head tax. I mean, there might be certain industries you might say because their margins, um, you you might have to angle the tax differently. You wouldn't actually do it the same way as you would like an Amazon, where you know it's this just behemoth numbers as far as their their proceeds and their and their uh, revenue, and so it's on the backs of of a working class. You mm-hmm. know? So. But you know we'll we'll see. Uh, it's a free country, and normally these markets kind of retain their uh, free market, you know, structure. And we don't see these taxes implemented in, in very many places successfully outside of maybe outside of the United States, but within the the fifty states, it's not. You don't see it as often successfully. So uh, we we're trying to be unprecedented in that sense. Yeah, know? I mean, hopefully, like definitely, I would want. Uh, people who support the head tax to definitely uh, be put into uh, the city council positions, but I don't know. I don't know where the voter base is for the people who want more socially and economically progressive things to happen in the city to help with like the various systemic issues that are happening here, or if the people who want to keep the status quo, you know, keep the idea of what Seattle is. And you, you can even say that that has changed by a lot too. Like it's not the super funky, you know, super low key town that it was in the nineties anymore. Like it's been super corporatized. It has a whole shit ton of uh, luxury apartment buildings as the only new uh, living places that are being built. Right. Right. So it's definitely, but definitely you're going to have to tax something. Right. And the head tax was the best thing. I hope they, I hope they like the idea because I do, the arguments that I heard against it, I think you need to revamp it and maybe like raise the ceiling of uh, what the total revenue of a company needs to be. So by so they'd be caught by it. So maybe the more locally based businesses that uh, don't have such a high income to profit ratio don't get affected, and that would negatively negatively affect those people's jobs. Right. But for places like now, we have Amazon here. Now we have Facebook. Now we have Google. Uh, all of those places are definitely paying people 
high amounts of money. So we're able to, you know, raise the threshold of those things to get that money that could definitely help fund certain things. Because the whole point of that was to tax them, get those dollars in starting in 2020. But I guess now it would have to be in 2021. Uh, and so they could get that money and put it towards HALA to allow for more uh, public housing building. Right. And because I think uh, Deborah Juarez, she said, like, in District 5, she built uh, a 1,000 new affordable homes. And I'm like, that's nice and all, but that's not enough. Right. And But I haven't seen any of the people challenging against her say, well, I want to build more affordable homes, and this is how. I yeah. guess right now in Seattle, I'm a single-issue voter when it comes to my, my city council person is affordability of living. So Yeah. Yeah, that and I mean that and also uh, using some of those money to create a structure that can help the people that are living on the streets and whatnot um, because they've been priced out or are just not in the system currently, you know, they're not participating. Uh, But yeah, that I mean, that's our city. We've got those uh, ballots in our boxes right now. So we got to take a look at them and uh, filter through the measures if there's any and uh, and participate uh, it isn't always pretty, but it's kind of the one vote we get. You know? Indeed. Uh, good times to participate. Uh, since we're in the middle of the summer and uh, I've been enjoying some time, I wanted to take a moment to discuss the float life. Oh, float life. Float life is when you get any type of uh, inflatable device. You know, typically the inner tube is the quintessential inflatable device for this fun activity. And uh, you find yourself a local water body, and you float the day away. Uh, you know, if you need to kind of paddle around a lake, that will count. I do enjoy that. We here mm-hmm. in the North Seattle side of things, live from Greenwood, we have Green Lake uh, a few minutes away, as well as the shores of Lake Union, uh, which separates our end of town from the downtown. Indeed, yeah. And uh, and those all are good spots to... Uh, to go down, take the the inflatables. Currently, right now, in my arsenal, I have three donuts, a.k.a. the normal inner tube, mm-hmm. and, and one uh, manta ray. Oh, nice. Yeah, the manta ray is pretty fun. It's, uh, it's, it's a good-sized one as well. But my all-time favorite float activity is a nice river float. Oh, uh, yeah, I've done, I've done that once in my life. Where you, uh, in Oregon, it was very popular uh, along the Sandy and the Clackamas every year. Uh, I would go on at least one float and typically two or three. Nice. Um, But uh, yeah, you got to get a good group of friends, uh, a good group of solid inner tubes. Sometimes you even use the uh, straight up radial inner tubes uh, that go on uh, trucks. Mm. And and those ones aren't so bad. They do have a, a metal... A valve that they use to f- fill it up. So you kind of have to do something. You oh, can, okay. You can fill it up and then wrap kind of something over that, like a like a cloth or bandana, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, you float. Uh, obviously, for those who uh, are swimming challenged or aren't used to being in the water, a life vest is uh, not a bad choice to have Indeed. on a good float day. Um, you usually need to set up at least two vehicles so that you can... Um, basically drive to the point of uh of floating and then uh pick up from the uh the other side when you uh, arrive because you're floating 
down a river, uh, be sure to float uh, in a river that somebody has floated before mm-hmm. uh, because rivers, A, they change all the time, and also uh, it can be kind of dangerous if there's um, rocky areas or, or sudden rapids. Uh, but usually you're, you're shooting for like, uh, I would say, between two and four hours mm-hmm. of a solid float. Oh, yeah. Uh, would be a good float day. Uh, come equipped with uh, some water bottles. Uh, and uh, and a group of people is usually a good measure, and and enjoy the float life, uh, float on, modest mouse song and a way of life. Oh uh, yeah, I just remembered when I was in Philadelphia, I also went on a float, um, but and I remember I had a bunch of change and I was trying to get a hot dog, but the current took me far away from the hot dog stand, so I had to sit in this two-hour float, hungry as fuck. Oh, dang. Oh, it was still fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nowadays, I've gone down to the REI, uh, Recreational Equipment I, and, uh, <laughs> and bought uh, uh, some dry bags. Oh, nice. So now I've got the solid dry bags, which, um, you know, you roll them up before you close them, and then they kind of balloon up and hold the air, and that's kind of how you know they're retaining their... Uh, rigidity against the the water pressure is how oh, okay. ballooned they are. Uh, but yeah, then I can I can throw in some uh, you know some beef jerky, nice, and some uh, some gorp or something in there, and then uh, you know maybe a couple ciders or river beer. You know? Oh yeah, river beers are the are the shit. You know, and then uh, uh, I also uh, have a second dry bag which I then put my Bluetooth speaker. Oh, and then I have the lanyard for the phone case that's waterproof. So you put the phone in the phone case, connect it to the Bluetooth speaker, put the Bluetooth speaker in the dry bag, and you've got River Tunes. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the best way if you want to live your River Best life. Uh, go with those techniques. Uh, plenty of sunscreen, and uh, you know, know where the closest highway is in cl- case your inflatable uh, suddenly deflates and mm-hmm. you need to. Uh, hike your way out uh that does happen from time to time indeed um i think uh the one other time that i went we used the ropes to tie the various uh inner tubes together and we had a center inner tube that had a cooler in it that had a bunch of our food and drinks in it so that's a good move and we had a rope that we could pull to ourselves to grab stuff from it and then pull back out uh to put it back in the middle so yeah that's good that's a good move. Yeah, the, we've we've tied together. We've had to to spontaneously untie when we hit some rapids. Oh yeah, we were like this like bulky like caravan of floats that we needed to separate to get through the rapids. Uh, those those were fun times. Uh, uh, we've done the MacGyver River as well uh, a few years in a row from a group that I used to work with at a restaurant, and it could happen again late this August. So nice. look for me on the MacGyver River. And I'm trying to remember, like, uh, I guess in river floats, I've done a few, and lake floats. Uh, there's a place out here near North Bend called Rattlesnake Lake yeah. that I just basically borrowed, or I paid for a rental of one of those inner tubes. I was just in the middle of the lake. It's super cold. It's super nice. And also, a couple Fourth of Julys, uh, some friends and ours, we have these really, these two big floaty things that have, like, lounging tables, places you can put coolers in and we tie them together and then we just chill out there all day and you know we anchor right right outside of it so we can see the uh fireworks uh at the end of the night 
Nice. Uh, yeah. So float life. If you're near some water, any sort of water, really. I'm looking at you, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so many lakes. <laughs> More than a hundred. All right. So so yeah, live that float life. Live that float life. And with that, speaking of floating, I heard you went on a deep dive on a Mr. Andrew Yang. Yeah. So Andrew Yang. I've been I've been looking forward to Andrew Yang a little bit because I know definitely he's. Another one of the candidates uh, that has a bit of support on the right. Um, and he seems like he was spouting some progressive things because he's the UBI guy. Uh, so, yeah, let me go into it a little bit. Like, So Andrew Yang, he's 44 years old. He's a tech CEO, which, like, he's... Uh, but it's not, like, a big tech firm. He actually ran a tech firm that was trying to help uh, businesses and other places uh, gain access to tech workers and do that sort of thing so okay so he wasn't like a part of some big company but because of all that and because he could see with from the various tech individuals that he worked with that when it came to the automation of large jobs that um he's he's really promoting uh the the universal basic income as he calls the freedom dividend in order to do that so um at on his website, he says his uh, three issue or three uh, primary things he wants to put is universal basic income, Medicare for all, and human centered capitalism. And so I watched I watched him on Joe Rogan, and I've seen him be interviewed. And the interesting thing about the UBI here is um, it made me research uh, a VAT tax or a value added tax. And some criticisms of that people have is people would say a value-added tax can be a bit regressive um, because ultimately value-added taxes look no different than sales taxes um, because that that sort of cost is pushed back to the the consumer. And and also another criticism someone might have for his UBI um, is that the UBI is opt-in, but if you're currently receiving things like housing subsidies or uh ssi or not i don't think ssi i'm not maybe um i don't remember that offhand from my research but also like food stamps um or things like that other like public assistance programs yeah um you couldn't have both it was one or the other and he's argued that people who are on those things say they would rather have a thousand dollars a month um instead of that so that's understandable uh but then there's people i think my favorite one that i listened to was his interview with ezra klein because ezra klein challenged him a little bit on why not actually just implement ubi for the people who are struggling rather than everybody and what he goes into he usually goes into um how alaska has their oil dividend sort of thing as like a reason why everybody should get it even like Bill Gates to, you know, an individual who isn't working at the moment because people don't seem to like the idea of uh, people being given money for maybe being a marginalized class. Right. I, and I don't know if I completely agree with that, but that's just like my own subjective opinion. Yeah. Uh, but the criticism against the VAT being regressive is saying that, um, like, I haven't... So what I would hope for if you were going to use a VAT to pay for the UBI... Um, is that you would definitely have some sort of progressive system on uh, 
the lux- the luxuriousness or right. I don't know some sort of like keeping it from foods. Things, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Make sure that the primarily the vat that you're implementing on consumables um, is actually taking a person's wealth into consideration in what they buy and how much of that value added stuff is actually going to be there. Uh, people have also said that implementing it in the IRS could be pretty expensive too because you have to get more people and it's not like something, it's not a line item that you add. Well, it is. it would be a line item that you would add at the end of purchase if that's how you were going to pay for it. Uh, but you definitely would need more people at the IRS to be able to like... <clears throat> check over that everything was doing that they were doing it correctly that they weren't gaming the system i mean i feel like you could make a technology argument for that yeah that's true yeah you can get a technology that should be able to process that information faster i mean the way the i mean my way i mean this might be dumbing it down too far but like i mean we should be able to snapchat our fucking irs at this point in 2020 that we're about to be in, mm-hmm. I should just be able to be like, yo, I've been working this long at this job and this hard in this city and this state later and like at IRS, you know? Oh, yeah. No, you're not wrong. Yeah. Because uh, places like uh, England, they do your taxes for you, or like, or especially in like the Nordic states. Yeah. It's not you doing your taxes and saying, oh, based on all this. I owe this much. No, they do their taxes for you. You're like, yeah, based on all this, you know, based on where you are at um, in this certain space, you owe this much money. But definitely people might be against those systems, too, because they definitely charge people uh, more. Like, they have definitely more progressive taxes in a lot of things. Like, I don't remember which Nordic state it was, but even when someone gets a ticket for, like, a driving infraction, that ticket is the penalty for that ticket is given at a progressive rate. So if you make more money, you pay more for your ticket. <laughs> so I kind of like that. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a perfectly good system based on what we have here. A friend of mine also told me that I should look into how Sweden does theirs because uh, they definitely have you know a higher tax rate, but they also promote a lot of uh, economic growth by supporting the entrepreneurial spirit in startups. So... So I should move to one of those Scandinavian countries and then not have a job, but then marry somebody and be like, put the car in my name. <laughs> and then when they get pulled over, it's like they give you money. <laughs> They're like, you're broke. Right. <laughs> That's a long way to that joke, but I'm working on it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it. progressive taxes is, is definitely a piece of a third rail of politics here in america mm-hmm. you know it kills a lot of campaigns and and it, it spoils a lot of areas that could go democratic but just based on their rhetoric about taxes yeah no that's definitely where i think if someone's a center left uh, democrat that's where i think their idea of going to left is representative of and and i get where they're coming from and you know as a lefty i'm like no no i want right. to i want to help people so uh, you, I'll pay more in taxes if I need to. You do the deep dive. I do the shallow. Take a quick look. So uh, Andrew Yang, according to Wikipedia, the free website, was born uh, 1975, January 13th. So that puts him at just over 44 years old, which is just in range of some of the younger presidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, he is from. Currently, Manhattan, New York City. So, uh, look out, Donald. We got somebody right on your block, man. <laughs> his his apartment building's huge. 
Uh, and so, yeah, he's got a more normal-looking signature. They have a graphic of his signature on here. Donald Trump's uh, looks crazy. Uh, it looks like one of those uh, signatures that if you like, you can't read it until you like turn it on its side. Ah, uh, yeah. Like looking down the paper, those like really long message things, and it, it was always like a bad joke. Or, or I think Mad Magazine had a few of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he went to a prep school in Manhattan. Went on to work for, uh, for Venture for America. Uh, he worked in a nonprofit fellowship called Venture for America. Okay, and it was launched just with $200,000 and sent people around to the different cities. The strategy was to recruit the nation's top college graduates into a two-year fellowship program. That's right. Where they would work for an apprentice at promising startups in developing cities around America. Yes, sir. Interesting. Yeah, so that's how he developed his uh, political platform. Uh, I didn't touch on how he's been. Uh, so it's very interesting because I think he's taking a very methodical approach uh, to his platform. Right. And he's definitely looking at how if you want to win um, in politics in this day and age, you have to min-max certain things. So I think he was saying in the Iowa primary, maybe only 240,000 people vote in it. Um, and if he wanted to actually get the votes uh, or get the delegate votes uh, for that uh, primary win, he had to convince like 70,000 people. So he's like, it's not how I have to win America. How do I win 70,000 votes of people in Iowa? Yeah. So that's why he's been campaigning a lot in Iowa. He's been talking a lot with truckers where um, – Vice did kind of a little thing about how truckers kind of got fucked by the the new tax system that Trump implemented. Right. They can't write off a lot of their incidental things, which increases their tax rate by an average of like eight grand or something in some places. So I definitely see where he's going with that. Um, I did watch an interview that he had on The Root ages ago before I took a deep dive into him. Right. And I could definitely see that I think he does, like Pete Buttigieg, have a little bit of holes in how, um, like, he doesn't target marginalized communities directly um, other than economically marginalized communities. Uh, But social ones, he basically says that I think a lot of the stuff, um, I think one of the, during his town hall, uh, one of the responses he gave to like how we're going to deal with this, he's saying like he thinks a lot of the racism that's happening now is a part of the economic inequality that's right. happening. So there's, if you, some, there's something to be said to that. Yeah, to yeah. to a definitely to a certain degree. Yeah. And I think the people who think that identity politics are going overboard love that message. And I think the people who think the, system, the systemic problems uh, of uh, black Racism people... Racism won't get corrected through just economic means. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. you know... Wow. So in, that, in, in this episode, then, from the information you've gathered, a, a very progressive duo would be a Budia Jiang ticket. That would be an interesting ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be definitely an interesting ticket. Because you'd have UBI and the Douglas plan. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like a terrible music like <laughs> festival. What's there? Well, there's UBI and the Douglas Band. Mm. <laughs> mm. I don't know. My Indeed. Last, my last girlfriend had UBI, and I don't know. <laughs> That's bad. I had UBI. There, I got to make it about me. I can't punch down. You know? <laughs> my last girlfriend broke up with me because I had a UBI. Oh, my God. Uh, I had a universal basic income. <laughs> Uh, well, man, uh, I don't know if we land the plane or if we just 
land it softly on our pontoons in a lake, like the float life that we live. Indeed. But I think it's time to land this How You Live in Plane. I think so. Uh, as always, you can get a hold of me on the Twitter sphere at Seatown Mayor. Uh, just over 250 people in you can keep up with what I'm doing. Uh, also, uh, you can get a hold of the show at H-Y-L-B-O-X at gmail.com. That's H-Y-L. B-O-X at gmail.com, the How You Live in email box, uh, waiting for your message. Chaz, how can they get a hold of you? Um, you can find me at ChazBaz on Twitter and on Instagram and on TikTok. Um, also, hit us up at HYL Box if you want to get directed to the Discord server uh, because uh, we'll go on there and we'll start, you know, Doing some live shows, maybe taking in some live callers, see how it goes. If yeah. it gets a little redonk, we'll probably stop. But, you know, if it becomes informative. Start start with live message questions so yeah. that we're still controlling what's happening on the audio at first. That's true. And then if we get to know some of these Discorders, maybe maybe have one or two live for a segment or so. Yeah. We can call live from the Million Dollar Studios yeah. Discord Edition 3D. Uh, and as always, uh, we appreciate you guys listening to the show. Uh, it's going to stay free, stays on the knowledge multimedia podcast network. That's right. Maybe some new shows coming out, folks. Keep your ears to the street, but have a headphone on plugged into here. <laughs> uh, Chaz, do you have anything else for the peeps? Um, I just want to say, like, after Andrew Yang, I realized when I was looking at my list of individuals I wanted to do deep dives on next based on their popularity in the previous presidential debate. And the next presidential debates are actually happening next week. Actually, no. Uh, we are recording this on the 28th. The next one's happen on the 30th and the 31st. There you go. Uh, so I definitely wanted to do my next deep dive. I was going to either choose Bill de Blasio or Julian or Julian Castro, but I realized there was a lack of uh, women representation in my choices, and I want to choose someone else who also has a large swath of plans coming through, and that's uh, Kristen Gillibrand. So I think I'm going to do Kristen Gillibrand next to see where she's at. Didn't we start with her? No, no, no. We've done uh, Warren, uh-huh. then Buttigieg, then Tulsi Gabbard, Tulsi. now Andrew Yang. Okay, okay, and now. Okay, cool. Right? Oh, no, Kamala Harris was in there, too. Yeah. Uh, so, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. I meant to do Kamala Harris next, so let me retract that. So, for the next three times, this is what I'm going to do. Kamala Harris, Julian Castro, or Julian Castro. Why do you keep on calling Julian Castro? I fucking hate <laughs> my life. Um, and then Kristen Gillibrand, and then Bill de Blasio. Okay. And that'll change depending on like how they do at the debates and everything. Yeah. Because I think we're going to, we've seen one person, um, I think Eric uh, Caldwell um, is out of the race now. He was very much like the gun rights, uh, oh, you know, right. save our children. He's definitely out of the race uh, at the moment, so we'll see who else bites the dust after this one and if we need to modify that plan. But otherwise, that's about it. Thank you for listening to How You Living. Yeah, that's it. Uh, great show. Uh, good, good hang, man. Indeed. Have a good one. You as well. We out. Peace. Hit a shot of Hennessy just to wash it down. I'm a white pants, I'm a talking private now. I got to be-